WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well, with your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Those of you who are certainly familiar with Boston uh, certainly know the musical scene. And a gentleman who has been an icon in Boston for many, many years is joining us on this edition of uh, City Talk. And he is Skippy White. Skippy, first of all, it's great to talk to you. I've heard you on the air many times, but never really got a chance to know you. So this is a kick for me to be able to do this. All right. Well, it's my pleasure. All right. Talk about what it was like and what made you decide to get into the business. When Talk about growing up. Uh, were you interested in music all the time? And tell me about some of the things that, that influenced you into owning some record stores. Well, I, I think I was from uh, an early age. I was interested in music. Um, at first, I really couldn't find the type of music that really satisfied me. So I started uh, dialing around on the radio and uh, I heard a program I heard a record that really turned me on to rhythm and blues, uh, namely Crying in the Chapel by Sonny Till and the Orioles. And I heard this on Symphony Sid's radio program somewhere around 1953. And that really turned me on to rhythm and blues. And of course, from then on, I listened to uh, Symphony Sid and all the great recordings that he was playing. And, uh, I became a big fan of his and, of course, of the music. And what made you decide to get into the record business? Well, uh, first of all, um, when I first got involved with uh, rhythm and blues and listening to uh, Symphony Sid and the records that he was playing, I didn't have a lot of money to go out and buy these records. I sort of became a record collector, but again, I didn't uh, buy a whole lot of records because I just didn't have the money to uh, go out and buy all these records. But um, as I was searching for um, some of these records, I found uh, that I was able to buy some of them very cheaply if you looked uh, at some of the Oh, even back then, five and ten cent stores like um, Woolworths or Kresge's. And um, then I found out where they were getting the material from. They were getting them from a warehouse in Providence, Rhode Island. So I copied down the address and I called the people at the warehouse and uh, they actually invited me to come down to Providence and take a look at the records that they had. They evidently uh, got all the cutouts and records that were discontinued uh, from many of the record labels. And of course, I was interested in rhythm and blues, so that meant I was collecting uh, labels like Atlantic and Red Robin and Chance and Whole Town, Herald, and so forth and so on. So. Um, I was able to find a lot of records cheap. And what I did is I took those records initially for my own collection. And then as I met 
other record collectors, I would trade with them. And of course, I was finding so many records in the warehouse that I had a lot more records that uh, I could trade them than they could trade to me. So therefore, I started selling records to them. And then I found records in large enough quantity. I mean, if you find 25 copies of the same record, and it's a great record, um, hard to find 25 collectors right off the bat that you're going to be able to sell them to. So I ended up going to record stores at that time. And I had about a dozen stores uh, all the way from a couple of stores in Providence, Rhode Island. I had stores in um, Brookline, Watertown, Waltham, um, all over. And um, I would sell them wholesale because I was buying records for like 15 cents a piece. And these were 45s. And um, they were selling them to them for about 40 cents, which was about 20 cents below the normal wholesale costs that they would pay to a record distributor. So it made sense for them to purchase records from me. And um, so that started out my career selling records. And uh, eventually I got a job at Smiling Jack's College Music, 338 Mass Avenue in the South End, uh, Circle 7, 9026, but I don't think that number's in service anymore. Uh, and so when, when I got the job at Smiling Jack's, uh, it meant that now I could go one-on-one -on -one with people and kind of get inside their head and find out what they were looking for, what they liked. And um, this, this uh, helped out as I continued learning more about the record business. I, I, I got to ask you this mostly because I'm curious. I love the name Skippy. You weren't, were you, you weren't born with that name, were you? No, I was not born with the name Skippy. As a matter of fact, um, when I got the position on WYLD to go on the air with my own show, which was initially called the R&B Caravan, I went on the air as Fred White. And uh, I went on the air and it was fairly successful. And the owner of the station, Nelson Noble, seemed to like what I was doing. Uh, but he wanted to hire more disc jockeys, especially from out of the area. And he hired a guy named Fred Mack. Well, everybody said to me, oh, you're going to get lost in the shuffle here. Fred Mack and Fred White, it's too similar. And this guy's coming from New York City. I mean, he's a big time disc jockey. Um, you're going to get buried. You need a nickname. Well, somebody came up with Skippy. I didn't like it at first. But I couldn't think of anything else better. <laughs> so I went on the air that following Saturday. Um, and Fred Mack was going to come in the beginning of the following week uh, to start his on-air appearance uh, on Monday. And um, so when I went on the air... 
I open up the microphone and I call myself Fred Skippy White. Well, the phone rang, as it usually would, because I solicited phone calls from listeners. And if there was something they wanted me to play, I would play it for them. So people called in requests, and everybody who called that day called me Skippy. <laughs> they, <laughs> so you know what happened. The, the next day, I also had a Sunday show. And the next day, I just dropped the Fred, and I became Skippy White. When and how did you open a, bu- a, book st- uh, <laughs> a record store? When and how? Um, okay, what happened was that when I got the position on WILD, uh, Nelson Noble, the owner of the station, wanted me to get four sponsors. And uh, I was able, with the help of uh, one of the record distributors, I was able to get Connolly's Stardust Room, uh, and he got me a couple of other small businesses, uh, I think a, a cleaning place and uh, uh, a variety store. And the fourth sponsor, he had asked me to get four sponsors, was going to be a record store. Well, I was working for Smile and Jack at the time. So I went to Jack and I told him, hey, I, I, I've got a chance to go on the air, get play some of the, the new rhythm and blues music that's not being played on any other radio station in Boston. And um, why don't you uh, sponsor me? And that way we'll be a one-up on everybody else. Well, he's kind of poo-pooed it. And he said, what do I need it for? I got the business now anyway. So I was kind of disheartened when he told me that, that he wasn't going to sponsor me. He didn't want to spend any money. Uh, So what happened was uh, Nelson Noble, the, the owner of the station, was waiting for me to come up with the fourth sponsor. I had three already. And I needed a a fourth one. The fourth one, I had already told him it was going to be a record store, but I didn't know that Jack wouldn't uh, help me out. So I said to myself, well, then maybe what I should do is look for a location and open up the store myself. So that's what I did. I found Ah. a location and I opened the store with what I had in the house because, as I told you, um, I had been going to the warehouses and um, I had a lot of records at the house. So I was able to open the store and get it started. So I actually went on the air first and then opened the store in a short matter of time. Now, I did an interview a couple of weeks ago with a gentleman who was part of the Four Aces singing group and i know Mm. that in the 50s there was a lot of entertainment that came to boston because of places like blinstrom's uh, chateau de ville and others and i'm curious if you had the chance to meet and greet some of these people and use them on any kind of promotions uh, that you might have done with your own record store and who you had a chance to meet (laughs) 
Well, um, you didn't mention Louis Lounge. That was a very active club uh, at the time. There was also a place up the street from Louis Lounge called uh, Basin Street South. And uh, there's there was a few other uh, places, uh, clubs, that and bars, I guess, that had entertainment that would bring sometimes some name people uh, into Boston to play at their clubs or bars. And um, there was a a place that um, let me see what was the name of it now. I'm trying to think. Um, uh, goodness, sometimes my brain gets stuck. Um, Happens to me all the time. A, uh, yeah. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> I, I just remembered. I just, re- I just remembered. Okay. Um, it was called Hibernian Hall. And actually, I think it's still there. It's on uh, Dudley Street. And uh, it, the it was on the second floor. Uh, it, and it, it held maybe about 300 people tops. At any rate, in uh, 1958, uh, this was before I, I opened the record store, before I was on the air at WILD, I had actually gone to see a fellow by the name of James Brown. Ever hear of him? <laughs> the name does ring a bell, yes. Oh, of course. Um, so he had had a big hit, a pretty big hit in 1956 with Please, Please, Please. I think it went to number one on the R&B charts. And uh, in 58 or so, uh, 58, 59, he was looking to follow up. And he had had some records in between that didn't do too much. Uh, but then finally he came up with a record that was really sort of a doo-wop record because uh, backing him up were the famous Flames. And uh, he had a record that went to number one. It was called Try Me. Well, I went to see him at uh, Hibernian Hall and also around the same year or maybe the following year, uh, I went to see Hank Ballard and the Midnighters. And they yeah. were also introducing their latest uh, recording at that time. And one side of the record was called The Twist. Yes, the original twist before Chubby Checker got a hold of it and imitated Hank Ballard's voice on his recording that became such a big smash hit. So I yep. got to see uh, people like Hank Ballard and James Brown and um, some others. And, uh, so there, there was a lot of entertainment around, uh, the Boston area at that time during those years. Right. Can you remember or think of anybody else? I mean, I, I, I remember coming to, to Boston and seeing people like, uh, Jerry Vale, Buddy Greco, um, Frankie Lane. Um, did you, uh, run into people like that? No, no, because those were not the type of artists that I was looking to see. Um, that wasn't the type of music that the, I, I really liked. Uh, I liked rhythm and blues. 
And okay. so they were more on the pop side. Yep. Yep. Um, did you have them? Did you have these people as guests on your program or offer ways for the audience to meet them or give anything away? Well, believe it or not, uh, my very first interview that I ever did on um, the show, the R&B Caravan show, was with Winoni Harris. Do you remember that name? Yeah, sort of, yeah, a little bit. He had a big hit called Good Rockin' Tonight. <laughs> that and I he had a, a lot of, Huh? That I've heard of. Oh, good. All right. Well, yeah, that was a that was a big hit, and uh, one of the early records that uh, maybe gave birth to rock and roll. Anyway, uh, that was my first uh, interview on the show, and uh, yes, I did uh, meet a lot of people like that uh, that were either guests on the show or people that I just played on the show and. Uh, I was able to break records and, and play records that had never been played uh, on Boston radio at the time. Were you hurt by the Beatles? Was I hurt by the Beatles? And their success? No, I don't know what you mean by hurt. Why would I be hurt by the Beatles? Well, I mean, did they take uh, sales away from you because you like Witherman Blues and they had their music and really hit everybody by storm and I'm just wondering whether it detracted uh, people that liked Witherman Blues that you played yeah no uh, because the, my customer base that came in my store and purchased uh, Witherman Blues records from me they weren't really that much interested in the Beatles Okay. That wasn't the type of music that they were interested in at all. Now, did you did you just stay in one store or did you open up others? Oh, yes, I did open up others. My first store was at 1820 Washington Street uh, in Roxbury, uh, not too far from uh, Northampton and the uh, Northampton MBTA station and uh, Mass Avenue. And then I moved uh, because the BRA, Boston Redevelopment, uh, came through and they took by eminent domain uh, all the businesses on that side of the street. So I had to give up that location at 1820 Washington Street. And I moved to 1763 Washington Street, which was about a block away uh, on the other side of the street. And... Um, from there, I decided that because I was getting a lot of the oldies customers coming in the store, and at the same time, I was playing new rhythm and blues music on WILD radio, that um, I really need to separate the oldies customers from the customers who are coming in looking for the new R&B records that are being played. So... I thought, well, maybe a good idea would be to open up a store that specialized in oldies. And I did. I opened up a store downtown Washington Street. 
downtown Boston called Oldies But Goodies Land. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a friend of mine, Big John Belmonte, to uh, come and manage the store. And eventually we hired a fellow by the name of Little Walter, who also uh, was on the radio and uh, had quite a career playing oldies on the radio. Yep, I know that name. Uh, Little Walter. Yeah, Little Walter. Yeah, I've I've heard him. I've heard him. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Unfortunately, he has passed away now. In fact, so has Big John. Ah. So how many, at at one time, how many record stores did you have going at the same time, if that's what you did? (laughs) At the same time? The most I ever had at the same time were four. Wow. Four stores. Yeah. That's, That's the a- most I ever had. I had the store that I called the original location, the Northampton area. That was the number one store. Then I had Oldies but Goodies Land downtown. Then I partnered with Jimmy Earlybird, who was also on WILD, and we opened up a store in uh, Grove Hall, 438A Blue Hill Avenue, called Birdland. Spelled with a B Y R D, Birdland mm-hmm. Records. And uh, partnership didn't last too long, but because he wasn't, he just wasn't interested in, you know, working at the store or doing anything any good for the store. So it ended up that I just bought him out. And, um, and then I turned around and I sold that location to the fellow that I had managing it. But uh, let me see. Oh, then I opened up a store at uh, Dudley. Uh, 22, uh, let me see. Uh, uh, yeah, 2255 uh, Washington Street, Dudley Station, almost across the street from Blair's Foodland. So those were the four stores initially uh, that I had at the same time, four stores. But then a lot of that changed because... Uh, as I said, I sold off Birdland Records, so you got to subtract that store from my list of stores. And then um, I moved Oldies by Goodies Land, which had been there uh, at downtown Washington Street for about 10 years. And I moved it to Cambridge. 750 Mass Avenue in Cambridge, almost at the corner of um, Pleasant Street, across from the uh, City Hall, Cambridge City Hall, and near the post, the big post office there in Central Square, Cambridge. And um, so, you know, I had locations that closed, and then I had other locations that opened. As we went through the years, you've got to remember, I was in business for 60 years. So that's a lot of opening and closing of stores. <laughs> that's a lot of years, I got to tell you. Yeah, it's a lot of years. <clears throat> now, I even at one time had a store, not only did I have a store in Providence, Rhode Island, but I also had a store in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. Right in the French Quarter. Oh, wow. 
Wow, yep. that's great. Now, as time goes on, memories like mine become more and more precious. And you start sure. more about oldies and oldies people and oldies records. Did you find oh. custom increase as time went on? Did I find what to increase? Customer increase as far as memories and nostalgia and wanting more music. Ah, oh, well, I guess you would say that. Yes, mm -hmm. that's true. Um, because I think I developed over the years, I developed a following. And, you know, I had people that would come to me I had some people that were so proud of the fact that they shopped at all four locations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And they, I mean, they would come to me and they'd say, Skippy, I saw you in Cambridge or I saw you at Northampton or I saw you wherever. Um, so that was, that was another thing that, that happened during that period of time. I also had a store in Mattapan Square that was uh, very popular. Now, I know that, that uh, different radio stations, the guys would make appearances at record hops. Did you ever do any of that? I did record hops. Yes, I did. I did record hops. Um, not as much as probably people like little Walter who uh after, don't forget, Walter worked for me <clears throat> for about mm, 10 years at least. And then as he was on the radio, um, he would get people calling him, say, you know, they would like to come out and see him and, and have him play music, uh, the kind of music that he played on the radio, and then like to do that at a record hop. So he was doing quite a few record hops. Um, over the years, I did some, but it wasn't on a regular basis. Uh, I'm curious, <laughs> as far as prices were concerned, what were you selling records for back in those days? Uh, the 45s were 98 cents. Okay. How about, how about like LPs and stuff like that? Well, they, they, they fluctuated because... You know, the list price of an LP naturally went up over the years. So uh, uh, initially, I think LPs, when I first started, were probably something like two ninety eight, yeah. And, you know, they went, they went to three ninety eight, and then four ninety eight, And pretty soon they were 5 6 and seven ninety eight, and maybe 10 bucks after a while. Did you get into the so, CD? Did you get into the CD market at all? No doubt about it. Of course, I got into the CD. You you already uh, skipped uh, four track and eight track. Oh, gosh! Gotcha. Remember them and cassettes. Obviously, you did those, right? I sure did. Every eight. everything that music had on it, I stocked in my stores. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, whether it was a cassette or a a CD, uh, even videos. Ah, yes. So, when did this all 
come, I don't know the right word. I want to say crashing down, but how, how difficult or how long did it take for you to kind of slow down and step back a little bit? Well, um, near the end, um, before I closed my last store, I was down to one location. So that was the one uh, in Eggleston Square. And I had already uh, closed, you know, the other locations. Northampton was gone. Oldies for Goodies downtown was gone. The Cambridge store was gone. Mattapan Square was gone. And so I had one store left, and that was the one in Eggleston Square. And I had that for quite a few years. But, I mean, the business was probably slowing down. Um, it wasn't what it had been. I mean, at one time in my heyday, at uh, especially at, at Northampton, I remember having four to six people behind the counter to wait on all the people. Wow. Uh, and it was, oh yeah, it was, it was like a circus. Uh, we had, um, the other thing we did in the store, not only when, when the door opened up and customers would walk in, potential customers would walk in, I would greet everybody. Always greeted them, mm-hmm. shook their hands, said hi, Ask them what their name was, what kind of music you like, who's your favorite artist, just questions like that to uh, engage them in conversation. And the other thing was that, um, you know, the, the music, we were always on top of the music. We always had the hit records that were being played on the radio. We had them before anybody else. And a lot, of, and then of course, a lot of that had to do with the fact that I was working at WILD in addition to running the stores. Now here I am running four stores, and I'm on the radio at least two days a week, and I'm also uh, picking out a lot of the music to be played on WILD. And then of course, I also at the same time. Um, had my own record labels, Stop Ditto, Blues Town, Silver Cross, Wild, <laughs> and yeah. a couple more. Not much so time for I was, uh, Say that again? Not much time for a vacation, was there? Uh, no, not in those days. <laughs> but I did do, I did squeeze in some vacations. Um, I remember going to um, the Jazz and Heritage Festival down in New Orleans one year. That was back in the road, I think about 75, I think in 1975. Um, went up to Canada one year. A um, couple other places that we uh, took vacation. So I was able to squeeze in some vacation time and still run everything you know that's amazing you're an amazing human being so (laughs) what well thank you what and when made you decide to close up everything well i think the the music business had changed a lot uh you got to remember that when i started 
And during the um, formative years in the 60s, particularly, and in the 70s, um, you know, the music was, it was just uh, ballooning all over the place. And we were doing very well. We were selling a lot of records. Uh, but then by the time you get to the 80s, um, that was the disco era, wasn't it? Was it yep. This, yep. The, no, I think it was the late 70s. The disco, disco came in in the late 70s, mid to late 70s. And then uh, 80s actually had the rap music come in in the 80s. Yeah. So the music changed quite a bit. Um, and let's face it now, see, when I first started the first, I'm going to say 15, 20 years, um, if you wanted to, to buy a record that you heard on WILD particularly, um, your best bet was to come to Skippy White's, <laughs> but over the years when disco hit and then uh, rap music hit and the music now changed, um, everybody had that kind of music. Every record store, they were all over the place. So you didn't have to come to Skippy White's to get a certain record that you heard on the radio. Chances are you could buy it, you know, maybe at downtown somewhere or at the mall there were other avenues that you could go to besides coming to skippy whites so that changed the business for me a lot and uh you know as we got into the new millennium the year 2000 and beyond um Again, uh, we weren't doing the business that we had been doing. Things had changed a lot. And um, I think with the change in the music, too, and the change in uh, the configurations, you know, you mentioned CDs. Um, let's face it, to, to buy a CD, I mean, you can buy a CD anywhere uh, of any kind of music. So that meant that, that I didn't have the um, exclusivity. Is that a good word? Exclusivity? Yep. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that um, I had had previously. So things changed. You know, I used to have a captive audience. Uh, and now that captive audience was going different places. Also, let me bring up one other thing. Um, you see, April April 6th, I think it was. Yeah, April 6th, 1976. A date that will live in infamy for <laughs> Skippy White. Because the building I was in at Northampton, the top floor, caught on fire. Ah. And it was a Friday night. It was close to closing time. And when I got the call that the fire department was out there with the trucks and they came in the back door as well as the front door, 
told everyone to get out. Um, and as I said, it was close to closing anyway, so we didn't have, you know, but maybe one or two customers in the store at the time. And uh, I think that was probably about nine o'clock. I think we were closing at that time around nine on a Friday night. And myself and the, the help that I had uh, went out on the street and watched them pour water on the building until about two in the morning. And every drop came down in the store. So that changed a lot. You also had at that time uh, a new chain of record stores that had opened up in Boston called Strawberries. No, it wasn't a fruit stand. They <laughs> sold records. And uh, now what happened is some of the help that I had, uh, which was, you know, help that knew about rhythm and blues, um, I could not continue to employ them and pay them. Uh, in fact, I, that, that store was closed uh, from April to, I think we reopened sometime in late October of that year. It took that long to get it, you know, fixed up again. But it decimated uh, a lot of the inventory and a lot of the help that had been working for me and knew a lot about the blues went to work for strawberries. Ah. So they naturally tried to take a lot of my business away. I mean, because I was closed. What could I do? So it was well, kind of tough. You, you had other stories too. Um, besides strawberries, you had Newberry Comics. You had Tower yeah. Records. Uh, Tower Records. Yeah, pop, at, Popcorn. You remember Popcorn? Yeah. There was a chain called Popcorn also. Hmm. So. Yeah, there was, there was a lot of competition. Did you decide like around 2017, 18, 19, that it was time to wrap it up, as they say? Well, yeah. Um, let me see. I, I think we closed... We closed in the year 2000. No, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, 2020? 2020, I think, is when we closed. Maybe announcement in 19. Huh? I think you made the announcement in 19. It, yeah, either 19 or 20 is when we finally started, uh, you know, selling off the inventory, reducing the price, and just getting rid of most of what we had or some of what we had and then uh, packing it up and uh, closing up finally. So and what is some, a business fail. What, is, what does somebody do like yourself who was successful in the business and doesn't have that anymore? Doesn't have what anymore? You mean the business? Doesn't have a, doesn't have a record store. Doesn't have people to employ and, uh, you know, be able to sell <laughs> records. What did you, what did oh, you I do? See. As you're getting, what you're getting at is my life changed quite a bit. 
Yep, exactly. And, uh, well, um, one of the things that we did, of course, we, we're still on the radio, and we have been um, all, the, all, this, all these years. Um, so we're still doing the radio shows on Saturday and Sunday. And um, also we did a little mail order because I had so many records that are left over from the stores that um, we were able to uh, go on eBay and Discogs, put them on there and uh, sell them as we get orders. So what, what and how many and what kind of radio shows are you doing now? I know one of your shows, we both work for the same radio station. Oh, we do? Yep. Uh, it was a WBZ? WBCA right now. Say well, it maybe, again? We, I'm talking about right now. Both of us are on WBCA yes. radio. On Sunday. Yeah. We, uh, I do a show with uh, Brother Ike. The two of us collaborate on a show called uh, Soul School, and that's on uh, Sunday at 6 p.m. Okay, is that that's the only show you do for this station here? That's the only yeah, that's the only program I do for uh, WBCA. Okay, but I'm also on uh, 98.1 FM, the Urban Heat, which you can get online. Mm-hmm. And I do that uh, Saturday mornings from 8 to 11. That's the time tunnel. And on Sunday mornings, I'm on from 7 to 10, and that's called the Gospel Train. Guess what I play? <laughs> yeah. Well, God bless you for being able to stay active. Uh, I, was in, I was professionally on the air for over 20 years and suddenly lost it and uh, it was hard it was hard i mean i'm back in it, it now it, wait a minute now back up uh you lost it what do you mean by you lost it well i worked at wbz for 14 years and then went okay then went to uh weei uh and did a okay. show there for six for six years and they decided uh -huh. they didn't want us to do that anymore so, uh, you know, I was out of that and I worked for the city of Boston for quite a while. And now I'm retired okay. and, and do both a cable TV show as well as a radio show. Oh, OK. Well, at least you're still uh, active. Yep. As are you. You're a little more yeah. active than I am, but but you're still <laughs> active and still going strong. And I am going you for strong. That. I admire you well, for that you. very much. So yeah, well, I, I mean, you know, I don't want I don't want to slow down too much. I've slowed down a little, but not too much. Yeah, yep. Well, listen, I want to thank you very much for for being a guest on City Talk. I've heard a lot about you all these years, and uh, it's finally nice to talk to somebody who is a legend, I think, in this business, and and made a good living at it, and still does very well, and. You are to be commended for it. Well, I'm still trying. Well, I'm still trying to keep it going and keep the music alive. Well, you're doing a good job at it, at least from my perspective. So well, thanks, thank for you. Being, 
thanks for being with us. Uh, it's been great having you back on the air and being able to talk to you and find out what the record business and music business was like in the uh, earlier days. And uh, I can't thank you enough for doing it. Thank you very much. That will do it. All right. For, for another you. edition of City Talk. Good night, everybody. All right. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk.